You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Okay, that is awesome. I am super jealous with the worship night, uh, to be totally honest. Uh, it's been a long time since, I think for many of us that have been in a room with other people and uh, singing and worshiping. And so um, that's awesome to see. And uh, it's just really great to see that despite just obviously ongoing challenges and the world is still very much in crisis and pandemic mode, we're moving ahead. We're moving ahead um, on the mission Jesus has called us. Well, it's great to say hello to you, to my Every Nation GTA family. It's been a while. I'm happy to report that we are all live and well. We're doing this live. I know we've had some incredible pre-recorded messages throughout the summer. And I've just been incredibly uh, impacted by just the different voices and giftings and diversity that we've just had. And so hopefully you've enjoyed that over the summer mix. And uh, for those that are joining in, don't know who I am, my name is Richard, and it's really great to welcome you to our church service. And uh, like was mentioned at the beginning, we're going we're gonna to do a short series um, through September called The Persevering People. And so over the summer, um, I've just obviously like... Many of you probably had a lot of time just to to hopefully rest and reconnect with various people in our church community and friends, and uh, but also had a lot of time to really just think and and uh, you know retrospectively just uh, what's gone on in the last eighteen months. Um, we're still in the thick of, of things. I think no one thought by this time, eighteen months since March twenty twenty, would still be in such disruption, such uncertainty. But here we are. Um, but Last couple of weeks, I've just been praying for us as a church community. I know many of you are asking, what's the plan ahead? What's what's going? And so uh, I know Bert's going to talk a little bit after this message just about our town hall meeting next Sunday. But I just want to uh, remind you to to say the date and join us as we, as a church community, look ahead to what we might be uh, having, what church and ministry might look for us uh, for fall 2021. But all that to say is uh, it's given us a real time to think and to draw upon some perseverance that we're going to need. We're going to need to be a persevering people to be able to walk the path ahead, which continues to be shrouded in disruption and uncertainty. Um, in the lack of certainty, what's important is that we get clarity. And the good news is we can have clarity on some things that just don't change regardless of the circumstances. And so that's the heart's desire behind this kind of message is what can we draw upon to persevere, to endure, to push ahead um, as we obviously all encounter personally, collectively, uh, just the ongoing difficulties and challenges and so uh, that's the heart's desire of the next couple of weeks. So uh, it was around about June, I think it was leading up to Father's Day, where I stumbled across this article in the Globe and Mail. And it caught my attention for a couple of reasons. The, the first one is, the title says, it, it took a pandemic to change fatherhood. And for these dads, there's no going back to normal. I would really encourage you to uh, seek it out and, and read it. it. The first thing that caught my attention is like, in this day and age, are we are we allowed to praise fatherhood? It just seems we're in such a climate where any distinctions, any things of praising fathers or mothers or males or females is kind of dumbed down or numbed down and we don't want to distinct all equal, that kind of thing. So that was the first thing from a Canadian uh, web uh, article. The second thing is it really underscored, if you read through the article, that there's been... Um, Decades of research 
around this, and they call it the dad effect or the father effect, and it's it's unquestionable, really, of the effect of a present and active father in the life of their kids, um, and just what it does, uh, the the opportunity and the possibilities it gives those child. It doesn't guarantee anything; nothing's guaranteed, but the statistics are just off the charts of how that that child is set up for, for success in life compared to a child who perhaps doesn't have that father figure or has a dad but is largely absent or disconnected. What, what I want to draw our attention to today is it took a pandemic, it took a crisis, it took a disruption to change fatherhood. And I wonder if after 18 months, you've had this moment, maybe a few times through it, but if you've had this moment of what has changed or what is changing or what are you uh, rethinking because of the ongoing difficulties that we've had and the disruptions? Maybe it's in your work or your career. Maybe it's in family or relationships. Maybe whatever it is personally, maybe it's caused you to rethink and relook values in your life or the trajectory of your life. Maybe you didn't like uh, just the, the rat race you were caught up in. I don't know. There's a myriad of different things that people have had, but it took a pandemic to complete the sentence for you. I know for us as a church, and I've thought a lot about church and ministry, and I know for a lot of my colleagues, a lot of uh, pastors and leaders I know around the world are rethinking a lot of the church, particularly here in the West. And uh, we knew that largely the, the statistics and the numbers weren't trending in a great way. People are increasingly disengaged from the gospel, disengaged from church community. And uh, all the pandemic does is to sped that up, really. That was already happening. And so it's a good moment for us personally, but also collectively to say it took a pandemic too. And then like those fathers, we're not going to go back to status quo. Here's what I would call the gift of disruption or the gift of crisis is it brings you to moments like that. What a crisis and difficulty and ongoing difficulty and disruption does is it removes neutral ground. It removes a comfort zone. It removes business as usual and forces you kind of fight or flight, to be honest. It forces you and I to reconfront some things that we just don't get to when times are kind of sailing along. And that's what's happened for a lot of people. And we're still in that mix. And so Here's the opportunity for us is to really rethink about our lives, rethink about church. Here's the incredibly great news. I quote Jesus when he said in the first century, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Talk about some endurance. Talk about some promise of perseverance. We know when Jesus says, I'll build my church, he's not referring to buildings, not referring to religious services. Those are important aspects of, of ministry. He's referring to my church. It's the assembled people of God. Pandemics in 2,000 plus years of history of that church that Jesus promised to build. Pandemics have come and gone. Empires have come and gone. Businesses have come and gone. Behemoths like Amazon will come and will go. Yes, they will come and go. But what has remained constant is the church and the people of God. And so it's with that hope, it's with that anchor that I want to uh, dive into today. And we're calling it a persevering people. Here are five essentials for the road ahead. Now, when you hear the word persevering, sometimes we can say, 
said, just persevere. You can get the idea that says, like, just hold your breath and hold on until it's all over. Uh, that's not what we're talking about with perseverance. Maybe in March and April of last year, we had that mindset. Hey, we're not quite sure what this thing is. Maybe two, three, four weeks. We know right now that that is, it's, it's long gone. I hope you're not holding your breath because you might need some resuscitation. We need to shift a mindset and a, and a frame of mind to see perseverance as continuing in a course of action, even in the face of ongoing difficulty. So it's a continuing in a course of action, even in the face of ongoing difficulty and essentials. You know, the gift of disruption gets you to a place where you you discover or rediscover what's essential, like those fathers being at home, forced them to stay at home or work from home, or maybe they were on the road a lot for their job or their career, realizing everything that uh, is, is needed at home, the, the, the energy and the effort and the hands-on approach that's needed at home, that they don't want to go back. It's a fantastic example of how uh, that that opportunity of disruption gets us to recalibrate, rechange uh, things about our lives. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. And so essential means that we pare things down to the absolute basics. It allows us to declutter, right? It allows us to declutter things that have just kind of in our lives, but not really adding any substance to our lives. But here's what the great thing about essential does. It allows us to place energy and emphasis on what matters most, for those dads, they're placing energy and emphasis on being a father first before career. Not to say career isn't important. We know that's important, but they're, they were given the opportunity to re-emphasize, to refocus, and to give energy towards what was important. What a gift to us as a church. What a gift to God's church, particularly here in the West, to rethink, hey, look, let's look at the last 10, 20 years of fruitfulness or lack thereof. Do, we want, do you want another 10 and 20 years of that? Or is this crisis preceding a renewal we desperately need? And we have the opportunity personally and collectively as the church that Jesus promised to build is to place our energy and our emphasis on things that really matter. Matter to God and matter to you and I. And so join me if you will. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read a few verses. But before we get there, Hebrews is an interesting book. It's called The Letter to the Hebrews. And this is a classic book that reminds us that the Bible is written for us, but it was not written to us. This was written specifically to a bunch of Jewish Christians. And unless you're Jewish, a lot of what you read in Hebrews can kind of go over your head. They're talking about temples, priests, sacrifices, altars. Stuff that just, it's not part of our day-to-day -day vocabulary. And so we can kind of look at the text like we're going to read and be like, ah, it sounds good. It's in the Bible, I guess. But like, I don't know. Like, But let me just tell you, this text is staggering. If you were a first century Jewish person and had begun to follow Jesus, this text is staggering. And I'm going to try my best to bring across that aspect of it. And so it can disconnect us. But where it can connect us is the author is writing to a bunch of Jewish Christians that have been scattered across the Roman. Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the dominant empire at that time. And they're paying a high price. Uh, the Roman Empire at least acknowledged the Jewish religion and the Jewish people and gave them their space. But when you began to follow this Jesus, this Jesus is Lord, you're a sect, you're a cult, you were, you were shunned by society. You weren't given any kind of social recognition. You were despised for a lot of them, maybe by their disowned by their family. And so a lot of them are tired and weary and facing their own difficulties and adversities and disruption. And some of them are even beginning to go back and say, maybe 
maybe we should just go back to what was comfortable. Maybe we should just go back to what we know. At least there was security there. And there's the temptation to be drawn back to a personal life that they knew was familiar. It's hard to follow Jesus. And so I think for us, we can take a lot of uh, strength from it to see their resilience. And obviously our resilience is continuously being tested. So Hebrews chapter 10, 19 to 25, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray quickly. We're going to jump in today. Father, thank you so much for your word that brings life to us, that brings truth for us, that helps us uh, reframe how we're to think about our reality according to your perspective. God, meet every person that's watching this right now, God. Meet them in their homes, in their couches, wherever they may be uh, enjoying this service, God. Would your word speak into their situation, into their circumstance, in only the way that you can. You meet us so tenderly where we're at, but don't want to leave us there. And so I pray today that we would encounter that, encounter your Holy Spirit being the great teacher to our hearts and our lives. For your glory, our joy. Amen. So I want to focus today on five C's. Yes, it's I'm back. The alliteration is back. I've had a whole summer of not preaching to think of, of creative ways. But honestly, these five C's just jump out for me in this text. And these are five C's that I think are going to be essential for the road ahead. These are five things, if you've been a follower of Jesus at any time, I hope are not new to you. That's not the, 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 the emphasis of this series is to revisit essential things, things we know that are important. But when life gets busy and we just get into this mode, sometimes we forget some of the essential essential things like being a father, like those, you know, it took a pandemic too. And so we're going to return to some of these. And so uh, the first one is going to be a foundation. And then there's going to be four practices uh, and as a, as a result of this foundation that we're to live out if we're going to be a persevering people. And so the first one is Christ. He begins and he says, therefore, since, and he talks about Christ and he talks about some of these confusing things of an, of an altar, a curtain, a, a, a temple. And so in a nutshell, let me explain explain what he's saying to these Jewish Christians. He's saying, hey, remember, so for 10 chapters, okay, we're in chapter 10 of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews. For 10 chapters, he's just been basically saying that Jesus is the fulfillment to what the Jewish scriptures were always pointing to. When you read the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, it can be sometimes confusing, can look archaic. What were they doing all these things? It was all a shadow of what was to come. All these Temples and tents of meetings and sacrifices and altars and priests were significant, but not an in and of themselves. There was a means to an end that God in his holiness still desired to be with a people who are unholy. And so he made a way until ultimately Christ was the fulfillment of that. And so the temple was the fullness of God's presence. And in the temple, there were even sections. You had the outer outer court and then the, the holy place and the holy of holies and the holy of holies was so pure with the presence the fullness of God's presence in all his holiness only one person the high priest once a year could go in there there's a fable, a tradition, I don't know how accurate it is, that they would have to tie a rope around that high priest's ankle because if he was struck dead you couldn't just walk in 
to the presence of God. You have to pull them out. I don't know if that's true or not. But the essence and the sense of that, this is God's presence, the fullness of his presence dwelling here on earth. And once a year, this high priest through the, the, the sacrifices that were laid out in the Old Testament would go in there. And what he's saying is, therefore, Jesus has done away with all that. Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the better sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Jesus is the high priest to end all high priests. In other words, every barrier you and I and the world had in encountering this holy God has been taken away through Jesus. Jesus is just simply superior and sufficient. And he's calling these Christians, these Jewish Christians, not to go back to a system that they knew that was comfortable, that was familiar, but that had nothing for them. And it was hard to press on, particularly in that environment, hard to press on and following Jesus. But he's saying, remember, it was always about the culmination of Jesus. And so he draws them back. And in doing so, the author draws us back to remember Jesus is just simply better. Any system you and I have of trying to get to God, any system of you and I trying to get meaning or fullness in this life that we're wired and designed to have is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus gives us access to this God, this holy God. Jesus ushers us into the presence of this God to have a relationship with him. And so on the basis of that, on the basis of what Jesus has done and the earth-shattering implications of all that Jesus has done in his death, talks about his body and his blood. We're going to enjoy communion today as a reminder of that. It was a tremendous sacrifice, but he did that to pull us into the presence of God. You're designed to be in the presence of God. God desires for you to be in his presence. It was never the dream to have one person once a year come into this tiny little space. God's desire has always been and will be to dwell with us. And Jesus has now made the way for that. And so now we're going to look at the implications of that. And it comes in the three things in this text. It says, draw near, hold fast, and consider others. So let's unpack. And the second C is communion. Verse 22. It says, let us draw near with a true heart. Let us draw near with a true heart. So when we talk about communion, we're not talking about the the, the Lord's table that we're going to partake of today. We're talking about something, with the, it's an old Puritan phrase. They talked about communion with God. In other words, God's not a theological construct. God's not some distant thought that he is an ever-present reality in your and my life, so much so that we have communion, ongoing relationship that's life-giving and transforming to us. And if we're going to be a people that's persevering, that we're going to need to be rooted in a practice of communing with the source of life. We're going to be rooted in a practice of communion, of drawing near. And so Jesus has given us all the opportunity and possibility to draw near, but the instruction still is draw near. In other words, you can choose not to draw near. And what crisis often does, what the last 18 months I'm sure has done in your life, my life, is it forces you to do that. Either draw near or you draw apart. I remember sometime toward the end of last year, um, Chantal and I, my wife, we looked at one of them and we were like, 
we're actually loving and enjoying one another more despite having to spend all this time together. And so what that the pandemic had done, it drawn us as a, as a relationship, a marriage relationship, as a family, drawn us nearer to one another, together. Praise God for that, because I think for a lot of other people, it's also done the opposite. We saw uh, divorce rates spike in some countries because of all this now coming together. Again, crisis, this disruption, it removes a, 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 a no man's, it removes that safety zone where you could just kind of coexist and whatever. It forces you and confronts things that maybe you had long kind of pushed away, pushed away, it brings those things together. And so that's what uh, affliction, suffering, adversity, difficulties, whatever you want to phrase it, it forces you and I to do either draw near or draw apart. And I wonder in your relationship with God, has it done that? Has it drawn you and pushed you towards Jesus in a way that could never have happened without this crisis? Or if you were really honest, has it pushed you further and further away? Are you just kind of maybe still going through some of the habits and routines, but there's no life there? If you're going to persevere, if I'm going to persevere in this season ahead and ongoing, we need to draw near to God. Now, please don't hear this. I know for a lot of you Christians, you'll hear, okay, he's talking about having a devotional life. A devotional life is incredibly important. Habits are incredibly important in making us who we are. And that's absolutely part of what we're talking about when we draw near. But I'm not talking about a, a nice devotional life. I, you, I've been here, you've been there. You can have a devotional life. You can, it can, you can take off your Bible reading, take off your prayer time, and the rest of the day, and it just, it, it does nothing for you. It moves you. No, what I'm talking, what we're talking about in communion with God is a posture of the heart, where we give our attention, our affection, our allegiance, and action to drawing near to God. It means when you close the devotional book, you're thinking and consuming with God. When you go to work, your thoughts, as your thoughts drift, you're thinking about God. You're thinking about your work through the lens of how is this worship to God. When you're meeting up with friends or family, the, the, the posture of a heart is a tender one to the voice of God. Maybe God's saying something or encouraging you to do something or say something to these people. It's a posture of a heart that lives 24-7 before God. I know we don't always get that, right? I'm not talking about living in some monastic heaven as you go about your daily life, but it's certainly not a 10, 15, 30-minute devotional. We're simply going to need more than that if we're going to persevere in the season ahead. And so part of us unpacking in the next few weeks is going to get more practical. So I'm going to s stay off the, some of the practicals, but just whet our appetite for some of these things, the essentials that we're going to need as we move ahead. The second thing is confession. So Christ, communion, confession. In verse 23, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Now we can hear confession and confessing sins one to the other. What we're talking about is confession is professing what we believe. Um, in fact, it so happens on the first Sunday, we uh, we always confess the Apostles' Creed. I love how Bert set it up. This is, this is what we believe about God and reality. These are the things that we believe, and so we profess and confess them as a way to hold on to our faith. All of us hold on to something. Again, when you're in crisis, when you're in disruption, what do you hold on? What gets you through? What do you turn to? What do you draw near to push you through the difficulty, to push you through the suffering? Where do you dig deep? And we can fill up with so many things. We can, we can, we can hold fast to the bottle. We can hold fast to comfort. We can hold fast to binge watching Netflix. We can hold fast to numbing practices that just numb the pain of our world. Uh, but we know that 
doesn't really get us anywhere, maybe temporarily released, but it really isn't a solution. We can hold fast to pouring ourselves more into work or, or mustering up our own sense of will and all those things. And, and they might have their place in our lives, but ultimately, at the end of the day, we're to hold fast to what is true. We're to come back to Christ, this Jesus, who is simply superior and sufficient, and to hold fast to him. And to hold fast to him and to actually come to a place where maybe you're exhausted and you've got nothing left. Even the idea of holding fast just seems effort. And that's when you can rest in, rest in your Savior. I love what Gina was saying. There's a, there's a rest that you and I can experience as we turn our trust to Jesus and ask him to fill us with the strength we just don't have. Ask him to fill us with the perseverance and endurance we just simply are exhausted from. And Jesus does that and helps us and will help us as we confess our trust and we look to him. You know, like you, our last few weeks, it's been incredibly shocking to see what's gone on in certain parts of the world. You think of Afghanistan, you think of uh, brothers and sisters in, in Christ who are now unable to leave that country and are now having to figure out how to follow Jesus under the rule of the Taliban. I mean, imagine that as your ad- adversity and disrupts. But I love what um, this article, I was reading an article of someone who's very connected with a lot of Christians there. And he was saying this, pray especially for the Afghans who have no choice but to stay, such as one brother who has already spent time imprisoned for his faith in Afghanistan. This brother assured me again and again, our hope is not in politics, but in Jesus who is the king. Our hope is not in politics, but in Jesus who is the king. That's holding fast to a good confession of your hope. It's not denying or dismissing or diminishing the reality, the political reality that this brother and thousands of others are facing. It's that I don't, that's not what he's saying. He's just simply saying there is a king above all kings. And maybe I don't understand why we have to go through such adversity and suffering, but my hope is not in a political regime, whether it's the West, whether it's the Taliban. My hope ultimately is in King Jesus. Canadians, we're not in Afghanistan. We have liberties here. We're in election season. Are you enjoying that? We are in election season, and ultimately election season is an exercise of hope. Political leaders and parties are trying to convince you to give your vote to them because they have a more hopeful future than this person. And hopefully they spell out some detail of why they think you to go with them. It's an exercise of hope, really. And whoever can sell hope the best and back it up, obviously, with some plans, um, probably gets gets the vote. And so uh, I've been obviously hearing some of their campaigns and listening to them. And uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a Canadian citizen yet, so I don't have the privilege and responsibility to vote. But if you are, um, Please vote. It's it's a privilege and a responsibility, I think, as a good citizen of this country and I think as a Christian living in this country to vote. Um, that aside, what are they campaigning on? They're campaigning on things like economic prosperity, how we're going to get back to some economic prosperity. They're campaigning on things. How do we allow people to afford a place to stay, a home, to own their own home? They're campaigning on things like health. Uh, peace, taking care of the environment. They're campaigning on education, making sure that people have access to education. They're campaigning on making sure that we treat one another equally with dignity, regardless of orientation, religion, or race, all these things. Do you know what that sounds a lot like? It sounds a lot like the kingdom of heaven. 
come to earth because it is. Here's what Mark says, says about this. He says, post-Christianity is ultimately the project of the West to move beyond Christianity whilst feasting upon its fruit. Thus, it constantly offers us options and off-ramps in which we seemingly have what we enjoy about faith without the sacrifices and commitments. It is a desire for the kingdom without the king. All those things are beautiful. God desires a world of equality. We treat one another as the image bearers of him that we are. God desires a world of justice, of economic prosperity and health, no sickness, no death, no war, peace, justice. That's the kingdom of God. That's the future that we're moving toward. But I'm with the Afghan brother. Our hope ultimately isn't in a political system It isn't in an economic recovery. Those things are important. They have their place. Don't hear me wrong. But our hope, my hope, my confession of faith, my confession of hope, what I'm holding fast to is that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's very comfortable in that title. He's not abandoned that. This doesn't catch him by surprise. He calls you and I to trust him and to confess and profess that. And I know it's a season of where sometimes you have to confess that despite what the circumstances and situations look like. That, what, that's what it means to be a confessing people. And so if we're going to be a persevering people, we need to be rooted in a practice of confession, of holding fast to our hope and making sure our hope is substantial in the person of Jesus. And then number, number four, community. It says, number, verse 24, let us consider. Now, I'm going to divide this up into two because I, I believe there's, there's a couple of things going on here. But he says, let us consider one another. Let us consider one another. In fact, this whole passage assumes you're in community. He starts saying, brothers and sisters, let us, you know, we, uh, since we, one another, together, that's language of collective. I'm assuming that you're not reading this as an individual, but you're collectively in community. But this, let us consider. Consider means to give careful thought. And it's to consider and give careful thought to someone in a way that draws you towards them. It's kind of like a spouse would consider their spouse. A husband would consider their wife. A wife would consider their husband in a way that draws you towards them. What a beautiful picture of what we're to be one another as the body of Christ. We're to be thinking about one another such a way that we move toward one another. And he gives us two examples of what it would look like for you and I to be considerate of one another. Number one, we're considerate of one another when we meet together. When we place priority and regularly showing up and being in one another's lives. Now, we can un- we're going to unpack these and some more, but I know you might be saying, yeah, it's been really hard to meet with one another. It has in a physical sense, but not in other senses. And I know it's been a challenging season, but I want to encourage you and we'll, we'll unpack some more of that if you're going to persevere, you can't do it alone. You need to lean into connection and community now more than ever. And it's just too easy to sit there in your couch and just say, well, I can't be bothered to come to a small group that evening. I have had a tired day. It's hard. It's inconvenient. You know, it's over the time of my favorite TV show. I'm doing this or that or whatever. And I would submit to you that is being inconsiderate. It's been inconsiderate of all the other people who are probably facing the same challenges and pressures, but somehow they're mustering and making it considerate. To meet, And so uh, no condemnation here, but a lot of conviction. 
if we're going to be a people, um, are going to be the church that Jesus is building, uh, you can't have it without community. It's as simple as that. We'll unpack that some more as we do that. But it says the other thing. We show consideration when we encourage one another. That we don't come there to tick off another duty. I did my small group. But we're pouring courage into one another. We're pouring support and care into one another. C.S. Lewis puts it beautifully, as only C.S. Lewis could. He says, he, God works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. And then lastly, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So it's considering others. One another refers to the, your fellow believers' body, uh, body of believers. But then this love and works assumes that the recipients of love and works are people who perhaps maybe aren't in the community of faith. Your neighbors, maybe people who don't share the same faith as you do. And it says, let us consider how to stir up one another. That word stir up means it's actually a negative word. It means to irritate and to provoke, and to challenge, to get in one another's face. To do what? Just for the sake of? No, 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 that's, that's something else. Where to do that to be provoking? Well, are we loving well? Are you doing good works? Are we remembering this world? Yes, we're consumed with our own challenges. Are we moving towards other people as love and good works in the world, as good news people? And so true community isn't just a place to get encouragement. It is to get care, to get support. It's a place where you're going to be challenged as well. The place we're going to be challenged uh, in these aspects. And so we're going to talk about some of that as we go into this. But maybe something for you to ask. What does love and good works look like towards my fill in the blank? Your neighborhood, your classmates, your workmates, uh, your um, campus, your neighborhood, and for us collectively, for our city. So we tie this about the path ahead is incredibly uncertain, right? We were a few days away from schools going back. I know the parents that I'm talking to, everyone's like, I don't know. We're all taking a, you know, a poll like, are we going to have to go online or not? You know, your workplace, I don't, things are changing. We, we thought this vaccine was going to be some miracle bullet, and that it hasn't. So uh, this disruption's here for months, if not years to come. So shift your, your attention there. That, that, that's not our focus anymore. Our focus is on being a persevering people. And a persevering people ultimately are sustained by Christ. And you and I are sustained by Christ, not by him waving a magic wand, but by us being rooted in practices of communion, drawing near, of confession, holding fast, and of considering others uh, um, in, in community and commission. And so we're going to be unpacking that through the rest of September, but I want to pray for us and, um, and ask Jesus to fill us with his perseverance. So Father, we are so thankful. You're not abandoning us, God. Um, your shoulders are broad. You can carry our burdens and you invite us. God, the invitation is to draw near. It's, it's not a promise. We, we need to do something. We need to draw near. We need to hold fast. We need to consider one another. But it comes ultimately as we see God. You're the one that made a way through Jesus for us to draw near. For us to be able to hold fast to something substantial and truthful and beautiful. And God, that the way that you've shown love and good works to us first... God, it, it humbles us and it reminds us, God, that ultimately our source is in you, Jesus, and that your grace is in all these other places, but ultimately it's from you. And so we're thankful today to look to you and to trust you for the season ahead, not just to survive, but to thrive as a persevering people. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.